Welcome to the Team Packed Podcast. We hope to inspire you to think critically and biblically about current issues facing our culture, challenge you to make a difference in your community, and ultimately change the world. Welcome to Season 6 of the Teen Pack Podcast. Through these seven episodes, we explore the theme, Belonging, as we interview special guest speakers from Teen Pact National Convention 2022. Our topic today is, We Belong to the Way. Quinn will be interviewing Brent Vassbinder, who serves as a pastoral apprentice at Emmanuel Community Church in New Orleans, Louisiana. Brent was heavily involved in Teen Pact as a student, staffer, intern, and program director from 2012 until 2018. He is married to Taylor Beth, and together they have one son. Brent is passionate about the role of the local church in the sanctification and perseverance of Christians, and is pursuing his Master of Divinity with the aspiration to serve as a pastor. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Teen Pack Podcast listeners, it's Quinn, and I am joined by Brent Vassbinder. Hey, Brent. Hey, Quinn. It is a joy to be with you today, brother. Yeah, same. Yeah, we go pretty far back. I remember being at Teen Pack Congress with you years and years ago. It was like maybe 2014, and um, you were, you know, a, a rather outspoken uh, student, um, and you actually led that in your in your talk here at National Convention, kind of led with that saying, you know, hey, that was that was totally me. I was the kid who wanted to seek attention, wanted to just tell everybody jokes constantly, kind of describe um, what what that's like looking back, you know, eight or 10 years and just being like, whoa, like I'm so different now. And, and maybe kind of walk us through how that's changed for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's really interesting, like looking back and thinking about my mindset kind of in the moment um, in my early years in Teen Pact. I started as a student in 2012 and um, that year started going to alumni events, went to my first national convention in 2013. Um, and just being around so many new people, I mentioned in my talk that I usually was around a fairly small group of Christians at my local church and at my once a week co-op. And then I have two siblings. Um, but by and large, I, I wasn't interacting with a lot of people in my day to day. So I went to my first state class and then I started going to alumni events. And now I was being surrounded with large groups of people. Um, and that just filled me with a lot of anxiety. Um, because I was a person who just consistently in each individual interaction in each individual relationship what was running through my head constantly was what is this person thinking about me how am I coming off like am I am I coming off too nerdy or too something else that that might think that I'm not cool or whatever and so that really plagued every interaction I had with people and all of my friendships because I was just consumed with with wondering where they valued me and how they were perceiving me. Um, so I came into Team Pact and that dominated um, my relationships. And I think the sweet grace of the Lord in helping me walk out of that um, was to put me around people who had their belonging in Christ and not in other people. Um, I think, you know, within the body of Christ, um, just setting an example, you know, being like Paul, being able to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Um, the Lord through Team Pact put me around so many sweet, godly, brothers and sisters who had walked in that before maybe, but who were at a place where when they were interacting with people, when they were in relationships and friendships, they were more focused on, hey, how in this conversation can I love this person? How can I be pointing this person to Christ? And that's a completely different mindset that these people were bringing in to their interactions 
um, than I was bringing into my interactions. And so I think that has just been the game changer for me is throughout the years um, at my own church, but specifically in Team Pact, is God put people in my life to be like, hey, Brent, like this is the way. It's to go into these friendships and relationships and realize like it's not about you. It's not about trying to determine your value. It's about embracing the gospel and then pursuing your friendships and conversations with an aim towards others. And so that was super freeing for me because it was just such a self-centered trap that I couldn't go into any friendship or conversation or interaction um, without just obsessing in my mind over what they were thinking about me. So God using these godly examples in my life um, to help pull me out of that just freed me up to like actually love people in an other centered way in my friendships. And so that's just been a huge blessing. Yeah. And I, you know, you see that culminate in, in, in your story in a, in a really particular way when, um, you and Taylor Beth ran on a particular platform. Remind me what the phrase was. Sure. Yeah. We, uh, we ran on the message of grasping his glory out of, uh, second Corinthians three. And so that idea of, you know, the spirit helps us behold the glory of Christ. And as we behold that, it says we are being transformed into the image of the sun. And so that has just been a huge theme last night in my talk um, and just throughout my life. Yeah. And and so I just love how kind of as you were wrapping up your student experience with Teen Pact, you'd already you'd already been uh, experiencing that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your own life to the point that when you're you're at your last national convention as a student and you're saying, guys, it's not about us. It's about God's glory. And I just love seeing that kind of that that arc that God had you on. And then, you know, you you went on to intern and program direct and, and we got to have so many good conversations over those years. I remember sometimes at like um, Team Pack Venture in particular that sticks out in my mind. Um, but just where like we're we're really wrestling with good things and good conversations and deep thoughts about the Lord and um, and just seeing where you then invested those those few years of staffing and turning program directing in in loving people and sitting next to somebody in their hurt or doing staff interviews even I heard that you came on campus um, a little bit early and made yourself available to our staff interview team and just were you know you're like hey I don't want to steal this opportunity from anybody and they were like no we need help and it's like okay well sign me up for all of them then you know <laughs> and I just love your heart for people that just it, it exudes out of you now in, in such a way that back then people would have probably said you're a people person but they would have meant something different. They would have said like Brent's a people person in the sense that he's, he's constantly trying to be around people, trying to receive from people, et cetera. But now when somebody thinks about you, I feel like they're like, no, Brent's a people person in that he has eyes for people. He loves people. He is about people ministry. And, um, and you're currently going to school, right? So could you kind of share about why, what led to some of these decisions to kind of just work on this uh, kind of character formation and, and passion and mission um, beyond just uh, kind of the day-to-day, -day, but actually doing that in some sort of ministry context in a, maybe a full-time capacity? Kind of ch share that story with us. Sure. Um, while I was in Team Pact, I really enjoyed having the opportunity to be involved in, in ministry and doing discipleship. Um, but I think especially, I think every student in Team Pact kind of deals with that reality of like, obviously this is a great ministry, but by and large, God calls most Christians to pursue everyday normal vocations, being a doctor, you know, for the sake of the gospel, you know, being an engineer, being an electrician, a plumber for the gospel. Um, and so I saw that. And so initially, I think my response to having this team packed experience was, all right, I just need to go and find some career and I just need to go and do that for the gospel. And I think that's what God calls most Christians to. 
Um, but as I left Teen Pact and I engaged in the workplace and had the opportunity to, I worked at an Apple store for three years. I was a manager at a Chick-fil-A and I interacted. I recognized that God was stirring up in me an aspiration to shepherd his people, but not in a general sense. I think the one of the main ways God uses um, to sanctify his, his people is through the local church. Uh, and I think being in Team Pack really lit me on fire for that um, because we, we equip students to go back to their home and to go be the hands and feet of Christ. And a lot of them, you know, responds like, man, I just, my church, my home, like it's just not the same. And so I think I put this in my bio when you asked me to send you a bio for National Convention. I was like, you know, my, my deepest passion is just seeing how the Lord uses healthy local churches um, of, of believers to sanctify people. And so that's really what's driven me to pursue um, theological training professionally um, is especially because I want to handle the word accurately. Uh, if you're going to be in a capacity of a, as a pastor, as an overseer, uh, James says, you know, brothers, we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness, uh, that there's a certain weightiness about teaching the Bible. And the reality is you can use the Bible, you know, a verse here, a verse here to teach literally anything you want. And so I think my passion has been, I want to shepherd the local church. I want to pursue full-time vocational ministry, pastoring alongside a plurality of elders and a healthy local church. But I recognize that a desire to preach, a desire to do ministry does not mean you will do it well and faithfully. I've had several small churches in the last couple of years approach me about becoming their senior pastor, and I've recognized just because they might perceive me as someone who might do an excellent job, I know before the Lord that I'm not currently in a state to faithfully shepherd them. And so that's just kind of spurned me on to say, hey, there's nothing wrong with being a church member. There's nothing wrong with just being someone watching others and serving at the local body, just not wanting to be too eager to jump into leadership positions. I think there's a sweet grace in that, that our culture would tell us, hey, take every opportunity, climb the ladder. Um, but I've just been in a season where I've been just digging deep and learning and watching others and being mentored by others. And it's not showy and it's not super public, but it's been really good. Yeah, I love that. There's, I was talking to uh, a speaker from earlier this week, Mike Johnny, and he was describing how even in like the Acts 29 church network, they actually, um, they actually have kind of a, a cutoff line for, you know, the, the age that they will, you know, have pastors plant churches because they're really looking to have the end in view when they're, when they're doing church planning. They, they don't want to put the 22 year old, 24 year old church plant pastor out there who might get burned out in three years. And, and there's studies that suggest that that is what happens most, most of the time. Um, you know, and, and like you pointed out, like, you know, for teen pactors, uh, it's not just a cultural thing. It's not just culture saying, Hey, take every opportunity, climb the ladder, whatever. There's also this idea in teen pact that's very strong that says, you know, first Timothy four twelve, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And so our young people are like, yes, that's me. Put me in a position of leadership. And sometimes they're not ready. Sometimes their character formation is not there or that they just don't have the longevity and kind of the proof of faithfulness of that foundation. And so I've been having the same conversation with, uh, with the guys at, at my church, our, our pastoral team. And, um, there's a couple of men and women in my life that just have been really good about recognizing that, Hey, you know, you don't have to, you, you might, you might have an aspiration for leadership, but if you're wanting to 
you know, be at age 70, 75, and, and you're, you know, kind of stepping down from whatever that leadership position is in the church at that time. Um, and you want to do so in faithfulness where I'm looking at it and I'm like, man, I have the next like 30, 40 years of my life that I want to be in faithful service to the Lord. Like I want to, I want to get home, you know, and, and, and I don't want to have this burnout along the way. I don't want to have, you know, a major character flaw that, that, that suddenly is on the front page news. You know, I, I, I want to be somebody who, who's a good leader that's, that's worth, you know, that's worth following because I'm following Jesus consistently. And so I'm, I'm really grateful that you're, you know, putting the time in on the, on the kind of faithful church member side and also on the education side. Um, that's really encouraging to me personally. You um, shared in your talk about um, a number of different ways that the Holy Spirit helps us. And, um, and I thought that it was really good because we were talking about this theme of belonging to the way and what some people will hear when they first kind of hear that phrase is let's talk about all the things you have to do and not do in order to be a good Christian. And you, you hit that right out of the gate. You're like, that is not what we're talking about. There is a burden, a guilt and shame that can come from that kind of mentality. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the gospel that frees you from that and the Holy Spirit that leads you into this life, into this way. So I'd love to, to just ask you a few things about that. Um, so, uh, there were five different points, and uh, correct me if I say any of them wrong, but the first was that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Second, the Holy Spirit comforts and guides us. Third, the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts and the desire to obey God. Four, the Holy Spirit enables us to pray. Five, the Holy Spirit enables us to understand God's word. Did I get those right? Absolutely. Okay, awesome. No, no, no taking <laughs> I, I was, yeah, my thumbs were going so fast on my phone. Um I thought it was so powerful because uh, you spoke with such conviction, but as a young person, two other young people, um, you know, Mr. Martin, um, after your talk, you know, you exited stage and he's standing up there and he's like, how many of you in this room could see yourself standing up here 10 years from now, giving a talk like that, where you're, you know, you're courageously with conviction, sharing these things that you believe the Lord has called us to and equipped us to do. And, you know, some people raised their hands, some people didn't raise their hands, but I think it was a, a very compelling message, not just because of the message itself, but because you brought it. And so I just want to thank you first and foremost for, for bringing that message um, and being an example. So which of those um, are, are, are something that you get really passionate about? I'm sure that you could get into any of those, but we have conviction of sin, we have comfort and guidance, we have spiritual gifts and the desire to obey God, praying and then understanding God's word. So give me one that you just like, you know, you, you maybe in, in the season of life, or maybe it's just something that as, as Brent, you're just like, man, let's talk about this one. Yeah. I think I didn't spend a lot of time on it. Um, just because I wanted to devote uh, emphasis to other points, but the final point, the fifth one, the desire to obey God's word is something that I'm very passionate about just because I just can see in my own generation here, you know, that there is a lot of like, trying to figure out what does it look like to study the Bible? What does it look like to interpret the Bible? You know, is, do I read the Bible and then ask myself, what does this mean to me? Um, or and do, I, do I ask other kind of questions um, when I read the Bible? And so I think understanding that the power to understand God's word is not something that we magically, you know, have to produce, I think is a joyful thing 
Um, and so I think understanding that the spirit is the one that helps us understand the word and then wanting to pursue a correct interpretation and application of the spirit uh, inspired word, I think is something that is such a crucial point for the Christian life. Um, because yes, we can look outside and I see some trees outside right now. And that tells me that there is a God, but I don't know what that God's like. I know that he makes beautiful things. I know that he is powerful, but I don't know that he necessarily loves me. I, I don't know if he's interested in a relationship with me. And so I think a lot of the questions that, you know, we as young people, for instance, wrestle with are questions that ultimately and fundamentally only, be can, only can be answered by looking into the scriptures. And what I told the students last night was, I get it. It might not seem super exciting that these deep questions that you're struggling with are ultimately found in a paper bound book. And so I think trying to get over that hump and ask God to help us see, even if it doesn't seem like the most magical spiritual thing to find our way in a book, that this is the instrument that God is using to show us the way. Yeah. And we talked on that particular day about how in scripture, there's, there's really only two ways that, that God describes there's, you know, there's the narrow path and there's the wide path. There's the, the path of the wise person and the wise of the foolish person. The wise person is the one who fears the Lord and walks with him in accordance with his, with his word. But, but then the foolish person says, no, I got this. And, and I think you did a great job of identifying that, that that is inherently foolishness. That is foolish. Like we need to run to the word, not away from the word. So I guess when I think about perhaps a young person who is learning what it means to follow Jesus and, you know, they're, they're told to read their Bible regularly, they're maybe participating in um, some sort of uh, groups, you know, maybe a small group where they're unpacking, um, you know, some Bible study material or something like that. Um, Oftentimes, I feel like the experience uh, might be that that it's difficult or that it's not fun or that, um, yeah, maybe it's just like it's hard to understand. And so you're, you're describing how the Holy Spirit helps us to understand and helps us to obey. But how do you kind of kickstart that? Because because I I don't know, I, I feel like that's that's a really difficult thing if somebody just feels like I don't I don't have the warm fuzzies toward reading my Bible and it's not necessarily easy when I'm reading, you know, some Old Testament passage and I don't understand any of the context of this. And so sometimes what it's like is, you know, you're reading about Moses or David or something and you're like, okay, I guess I'm Moses. I guess I'm David, which oftentimes gets super <laughs> misinterpreted. So, so how do you see that playing out? Like how should a young person, um, you know, kind of approach uh, interpreting the Bible and how should they start to kind of learn those skills earlier um, in their life instead of just being like, well, I tried and then I'm going to give up because it's, it's not working. Yeah. I think a lot of that comes down to recognizing, uh, like I mentioned last night that we were never meant to walk the way alone. And I think understanding that while it is super crucial to have a daily quiet time with you and the Lord spending time in the word that recognizing that studying the Bible has always been a community activity. It's always done some it's always been something a discipline we pursue within the community of faith specifically through your local church and so that's something that's been very helpful for me um, is recognizing that there's been obviously like several resources that have been instrumental in helping me get started on understanding the Bible uh, one would be the ESV study Bible that was very influential several years ago in my life but ultimately 
while we can look to very helpful resources by various Christian publishers, we need real people who know us and can walk beside us. And so I think recognizing that, yes, interpreting the Bible is hard, gleaning the golden truths from the scriptures is hard, and if you see it as something that is fundamentally up to you, uh, a task between you and you alone, then you are already on the track for failure. But first recognizing that it's something that the Holy Spirit's helping you with and asking for his wisdom and guidance. And then alongside that, being plugged in with other healthy believers, hopefully ones that are further down the road in that that interpreting of scripture, that's gonna be helpful. And I think that brings up a point that it's super, I think almost controversial in our generation. Go for it. Is the value of learning and being mentored by older saints. I know so many friends of mine who are like, I walked into a church, but it seemed like a good chunk of the congregation was over 50. So I figured I needed to go find a church that was more to my suitings. It's this somehow mirage that I need to only surround myself with people who are like me in the same season of life. And often, unfortunately, in the same, maybe even low levels of spiritual maturity, because that relatability is going to encourage me. And we all need to take a good lesson out of Rehoboam's book. Rehoboam. Okay, we're going here. We're going here. We're talking about the Bible, so we're going to the Bible, Quinn. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon, the wisest man of the earth, who unfortunately was not faithful until the end because he fell into idolatry. But Rehoboam had the opportunity. He still had this united kingdom. The all 12 tribes were underneath him, and he had this opportunity to convince the people that he was worth following. They said, your father Solomon burdened us with heavy building projects like his giant palace, and we want you to serve us by not making us just effectively slaves for your building projects. We want you to be a good and just king. And so Rehoboam had access to two different groups of people. He had access to his father's counselors who stood before the wisest man on earth and advised him, and he had access to the young men who he grew up in the court with. And the old men who served his father said, you should speak kind words to these people, show them that you are willing to be a servant to them, and they will serve you forever. Sounds like a pretty good deal. He consulted his younger friends who he grew up with, the people that were like him in the same age, in the same season of life, all those relatability factors that I'm sure felt very encouraging. And they told him to basically scold the people and tell them it was going to be even harder on them under him, basically flex on the people. And that's the way to respond here to show them that you mean business. And what we find out at the end of the passage is it was ultimately a turn of events brought about by the Lord um, to tear the kingdom away, tear 10 tribes away from Rehoboam, Um, because of judgment on his father. But all that to say is he rejected the wise counsel of the older men in favor for the younger men because it seemed better to him. And I think we can learn from that by understanding, I think as young Christians, we are tempted to spurn the influence of older saints down the road because we assume they do not understand what we're walking through. And Ecclesiastes tells us that there is nothing new underneath the sun. And so whether that is the, the daily battle for humility instead of pride or the daily fight for, for purity instead of lust, whatever it might be, friends, this is something that has been going on for all of time. And so when we're looking at how to pursue interpreting the Bible, how to grow in your faith, how to walk in the way, I think a crucial element is not just looking to ourselves and to the people that seem a lot like us, but recognizing that God has blessed us with a multiple 
generations of people hopefully around us. And so I think leaning into that is a huge um, way that we can grow. Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, especially for a lot of our teen pack students who, you know, have this moment of transition, um, maybe it's a year or two years, but it's at the end of high school in the beginning of college or career or whatever's next. And uh, some of them look to, let's say, a campus ministry to be kind of the local church representation in their life. And others um, do not even connect with any sort of ministry or any sort of church. And then there's another category that like intentionally seeks out being a member of a local body. And I see patterns, I guess, of what happens in those moments. Like when, when you're struggling to understand God's word and apply God's word, when you're struggling to understand what his way is, which is probably not the case. It's probably more the obedience and submission to the way that you know is true and the Holy Spirit has convicted you of. Um, but in those moments, like if you have a multi-generational group of relationships at a local church of people investing in you and helping you walk in the way, like I think that's going to be way more successful in terms of you actually understanding and you actually experiencing that transformation on an ongoing way. But if you choose to limit that perhaps to just a similar age college ministry context, um, maybe you're, you're actually limiting the potential to, to understand and to grow and to continue that sanctifying work that the Holy Spirit wants to do. And so my encouragement at this most recent Teen Pack venture, and if you're new to the Teen Pack podcast, that's one of our alumni events for young men, um, but was to, to actually think about and anticipate, hey, I'm heading off to college. Hey, I'm moving. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm starting a new job and I'm, I'm leaving my family, whatever it is where are you going to get plugged into a church? Maybe that needs to be a decision you make before taking the job. Maybe that needs to be something that's a part of what school you go to is, is, is there a healthy local church that I could be a part of? Because ultimately what we're talking about here is soul care. It, it's saying, Hey, how, do, how am I going to be held by the Lord, sustained by the Lord to the very end to where God leads me home. And, and how he does that, what I'm hearing you say is through other believers, through different generations of life and you need those people. So I'm, I'm totally with you on that and I really appreciate you kind of unpacking that a little bit. Um, toward the end, you talked about how sometimes people look inward most of the time. Um, we look inward. Our sinful tendency is to look inward and to identify, this is me. You know, you, you find some sort of um, thing about you and you say, that that's my identity. Um, for you early on, that was, you know, people pleasing. It was telling jokes and that sort of thing. But then you said, your true self is the self that looks like Christ. Kind of talk to me about just kind of this idea of sanctification and how the Holy Spirit is, is helping us become something different than we already are. Yeah, and what I was trying to encourage the students last night is I think just that phrase itself that you just said, Quinn, becoming something that we aren't, that can sound very, very dangerous, I think, maybe to sure. our eyes, especially in 2022, that we are prone to hear about anyone pushing us away from ourselves and think, well, this is, you know, this is a damaging thing for me. I need to go and find, you know, people that are calling me to be true to me. And so I think the Bible just calls us, you know, through, God through the Bible calls us to a radically different life to recognize that although we are made in the image of God, that we have been marred by sin. Our desires have been twisted. And so we are prone to trust our own desires but the Bible teaches us that God is in the business of 
of inviting us to come and have our desires and our affections transformed. I think affections is a huge element in this, just recognizing that our heart treasures the wrong things automatically from the get-go. Romans 3 says, no one is good, no, not one, no one seeks after God. So we're already starting off at this place of where we aren't seeking God and we're desiring the wrong things. And so through sanctification, God is transforming the affections of our heart to love him, to love his way. And that can be difficult because it does involve an element of self-denial. It does, you know, we sing a lot this week about being a living sacrifice. And I think trying to dig into the Old Testament imagery there, it is a not exactly a beautiful picture. Right. Um, it's a painful picture. It's a picture that involves death. Um, specifically in the Old Testament, the death of an animal and the ultimate sacrifice that we know in the New Testament is the death of our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I think that element of even sacrifice should help us clue us in that sanctification is not going to be a cakewalk. Yep. Having your desires and affections changed is not easy. And that not easiness, that difficulty is often off-putting. I think of the voyage of the Don Treader when Eustace, because of his selfishness, has been transformed into a dragon. And so Aslan says, I can remove the dragon scales from you, but I'm going to have to tear into you and take, it, take the scales off one by one. And so it gets tougher with each layer as he goes. And I think it's a beautiful picture of sanctification that recognizes that it can be very painful sometimes to have our affections and desires change. But oh, how sweet it is when we see God as God and us as who we are and, and Jesus' love as it actually is. And so I think, yes, getting plugged into a healthy local church so that together you can pursue this journey and help each other when it's hard and help remind each other that the way is wise and the world's way and our own way is foolish is crucial. But I think just helping people to understand that the initial difficulty the ongoing difficulty of sanctification cannot be what allows us to, to never to never get out of the car, to always sit on the bench. We have to see the difficulty and say, actually, that is a sign that my Savior is inviting me to come and die and be born again into something so beautiful and new. Yeah. And there's a constancy to that. There's a there's a longevity. There's a continuation. And one of the things that you kind of landed on was a quote that I thought was just poignant, but just so appropriate to the topic. And that was, you know, basically, am I supposed to sit back and just let the Holy Spirit kind of do his thing? I'm a Christian now. So, you know, just kind of let go, let God. And you quoted Dallas Willard saying that grace is opposed to earning, not effort. And there's, there's meant to be an aligning of my, my effort, my values, my, my way of being and living, um, of thinking and emoting and relating. And it's supposed to be affecting everything. And I need to align my heart's motivation, my, my, uh, my, my, my mornings and my afternoons and my evenings, my Sundays and my every other days, you know, with what the Lord is doing. And, but, but, but to, bring it kind of full circle, you know, like you said at the beginning of your talk, this is not about do more, do better. You know, you have to always keep up. God's just got constantly holding this over you. It's actually the spirit enabling that it's him guiding and directing and coming alongside. And, and you, you even said at the end, 
Like God's willing to be patient with you. Like he recognizes that you're, you're a sinner saved by grace. And there's a continuation, not just on our part, but on his part. And he's going to continue to be the same God who's long suffering with us. And I just love the way that you were able to kind of cast that vision for the students, because as a young person yourself, you're able to say, hey, I'm in the trenches with you. And what I'm calling you guys to is something that I'm, I'm willing to commit to alongside you. And I just think that, you know, with Teen Pack's model of leadership, where, where you have a bunch of peers who are maybe the same age or just a little bit older, that's such a powerful thing because because there are other friends who choose to not follow the way. There's people who choose to not follow Jesus. And so to, to hear uh, a young person who's years removed from Teen Pact say, following Jesus is so sweet and it is so beautiful and it is so worth it. And the Holy Spirit is going to enable you to do this every step of the way. Man, that's powerful. Any final thoughts or um, resources that you'd like to point us toward? Any any concluding ideas? Yeah, I think earlier we were talking about just the importance of a healthy local church. And I think that word healthy there is crucial uh, because I think when we talk about students, you know, leaving Teen Pack, going off to school, moving, um, looking at, all right, you know, where am I going to be involved in a church? It is so easy to be driven by our own conveniences and own interests And so I would encourage students to use the Bible mainly, right, as our guide for understanding what actually makes a healthy local church. Does God just think as long as you walk into a building with a steeple, you're good, just pour yourself there? Or does it matter like what's going on underneath the steeple? And so a a book that God has used in a very life-changing way for me is the book Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by Mark Dever. And basically in the book, he walks through what he sees in the scriptures as the nine distinctive things that make up a healthy church. And one of those things is a biblical understanding of the gospel. There is plenty of churches in churches, almost in quotation marks, that gather on a Sunday, but do not proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps it's a false gospel, like the prosperity gospel. Perhaps it's a workspace gospel. And so they might have a really cool youth group a young adult group. They might have a really uh, vibing worship song experience. But for instance, in this case, if they don't have a biblical understanding of the gospel, it's not worth investing yourself in that local body. So my encouragement would be to the listeners would be to spend intentional time specifically when you're looking at transitioning churches or even evaluating your own church at does my church line up with what the Bible would say is true and how the Bible would display a healthy local church because that is going to be a game changer because if you're in an unhealthy environment, you can pour yourself into that church, join every volunteer team, show up to every event, but ultimately if it's an unhealthy environment that does not proclaim the gospel faithfully, you might actually be pushing yourself in the wrong direction, developing unhealthy habits, and so ultimately discerning with the help of others through setting the scriptures, perhaps perhaps using a resource like I mentioned to help develop for yourself what does a healthy local church look like and then pouring yourself into one is a crucial element that goes beyond just saying, I am a big church person. You have to understand that there is a difference between unhealthy and healthy churches. That isn't saying that there's such a thing as a perfect church out there. Hmm, I'm I'm in what I believe is a healthy local church and we're not perfect. And I think sometimes I've talked to my friends and have urged them to consider these things and they go, well, Brent, no church is perfect. My church has got flaws. Your church has got flaws. The point is that we just get into a church and love God and love people. But I think there's an almost... 
uh, dangerous lack of ignorance in that kind of sentiment. Or presence of ignorance. A presence of ignorance, yes, uh, of recognizing that God's word is not silent on many matters, and the local church is one of those matters. And so I think wanting to put our ear to the Bible to let us inform our church involvement is critical. Yeah, I love that. Thanks so much for joining us, Brent. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Quinn. Thank you for joining us for this special edition of the Team Packed Podcast. Have any questions about today's episode? Send us an email at communications at teampack.com, or you can visit our website for more information about our programs and state classes.